0: Welcome back to the program. Technology is transforming the world, but so too are the millions of young people throughout the world whose attitudes, desire for freedom, and more cosmopolitan views are transforming nations. When these forces combine, the results can be powerful. This is what we've seen in the Arab Spring and in the uprisings and youth movements in Tunisia, Egypt, and Libya. My guest, University of Michigan, Professor Juan Cole, one of our most distinguished Middle East experts, talks of an Arab Generation Y in his new book The New Arabs. Juan Cole is the Richard P. Mitchell Collegiate Professor of History at the University of Michigan. For three decades he has sought to put the relationship of the West and the Muslim world into historical perspective. He's commented extensively on Al-Qaeda and the Taliban and the Iraq War as well as the politics of Afghanistan and Pakistan. It is my pleasure to welcome Juan Cole back to this program to talk about the New Arabs how the millennial generation is changing the Middle East. Juan, thanks so much for joining us. Thanks so much for having me in. Great to have you here. In many ways, as we look at the impact of these millennials in transforming parts of the Arab world, it's in some ways counterintuitive, because one of the things we've heard so much about is the huge unemployment rate, especially for young men in these nations, and all the danger posed by that. Talk a little bit about those two ideas.
1: Well... Yeah, there is a, a youth bulge, and so you have very large numbers of uh, young people, uh, and many of them unemployed. Uh, some social scientists uh, see uh, that kind of situation as a sign of danger. Uh, they're afraid that the young men will go wilding, uh, and that there will be uh, crime and, uh, and, and uh, rapine and, and, uh, and turmoil. I'm not among uh, those uh, I, I don't think you can read off from large numbers of young people to negative forms of social turmoil. Uh, but it's certainly the case that if a society has a lot of um, uh, people in it who are um, young, unattached, uh, have a lot of time on their hands, uh, then they certainly can devote uh, some of those uh, some of that time it becomes a resource. Uh, to organizing, Uh, and so I I do think that helps to explain why we've seen uh, so much uh, networking uh, in in the region.
0: When we looked at the impact that this Generation Y, that these millennials have had in places like Egypt and Tunisia, talk a little bit about the role that technology has played and the nexus between the technology and the, the more cosmopolitan nature of this generation. This
1: generation is uh, very urban, uh, and uh, much more so than its its parents. It's night and day. In fact, you look at a place like uh, Libya, late 60s, Libya was probably 20% urban. Most people were farmers. Uh, Today, it's the other way around. Most people live in the city. Uh, And so these young people often have been born in in cities, grown up in cities, uh, and, and not in touch with the countryside the way their parents were. Uh, and, um, and they're much more literate. Uh, these post-colonial uh, states in the Arab world, uh, one of the things that they were very determined about was universal literacy and uh, schooling. So they set up enormous numbers of grammar schools, high schools, uh, universities. Uh, and uh, so uh, these young people have these, uh, these tools, and uh, many of them, a majority certainly are uh, are wired. They uh, they spend time on the internet and uh, they learned to use it for um, not only for fun uh, but also for for uh, networking and political purposes. And uh, they there's an intersect between their their internet activism and their street activism because of course the majority of uh, organizing still happens in. in in meat space, uh, in in street demonstrations, and uh, cafe uh, discussions, and uh, pamphleteering is important, and chanting slogans. Uh, And one of the things about these urban environments in which they operate is that people are close in on one another. Uh, You can hear what's going on in the neighbor's balcony. And uh, one of their techniques was to chant informational slogans from the balconies or as they marched through the streets, which other people then picked up, and it, so it became a huge game of telephone. And that, I think, uh, that, those practices on the street intersected with, uh, with Facebook and Twitter and other uh, social media ways of getting information out.
0: They've been very good at organizing. Talk a little bit about the political ideas behind it, the, the extent to which that organization has had a singular political focus.
1: For this generation, I think a lot of politics um, is uh, is parliamentary politics. Uh, they want free and fair, open elections. Uh, and they're, in my view, a lot of them have kind of, uh, without uh, knowing much about it or, or uh, uh, without trying to, have uh, reinvented uh, a kind of Jeffersonian uh, approach to Democracy. You know, Jefferson thought that it's good for things to be shaken up uh, every 25 years or so, uh, and uh, he didn't think the American Revolution was, was a one-off uh, event. And so these young people think there should be uh, p- parliamentary elections, uh, there should be parties and uh, candidates and platforms, uh, and that there shouldn't be any uh, thumb on the till, that, 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 that there should be upright elections. But they also think that the resulting legislature and prime minister uh, should be subject to the discipline of the street, uh, and that, that when people are very unhappy, they should resort to direct democracy, uh, and uh, they should protest and, uh, and bring people out. Uh, and so they don't see um, democracy as a kind of elective dictatorship where you know, you go to the polls every few years and, uh, and put people in who then uh, arbitrarily make decisions. They think that, uh, that it should be an ongoing uh, investment of the whole public in, in the process. And, of course, that has scared the elites no end. Uh, and uh, they've, in, in some instances, as, as in Egypt, they've pushed back and attempted to put that genie back in the bottle.
0: How effective have these millennials been in terms of leadership themselves? In many cases, they've been very good as a catalyst for change, but haven't really fallen into significant leadership roles yet.
1: Well, that's right. Uh, they, they haven't emerged as political leaders on the whole themselves. But, but I tell people when this is brought up, and, and it's a really good question, is that one has to remember how young they are. Uh, they are... Um, often 20, uh, 20, you know, they're, they're just uh, kids, and um, they uh, often are not old enough to stand for office. Uh, they uh, really aren't the kind of people that you would imagine playing a, a political role. And so if you thought about, you know, all of the Recent college graduates you knew how, how many of them are in the Senate <laughs> so uh, <laughs> uh, that's not even where their heads are at right now I think they're much more into into organizing and uh, activism and uh, they're they're more like you know our organizations like Greenpeace or something than they, they are. are like party activists and uh, I think it that's the one reason that I caution people not to jump to conclusions or draw too many uh, conclusions from the current situation because uh, these young people who have already, I think, achieved a lot, um, you know, still have decades ahead in which they'll rise into positions of power. And, and, and it's 20, 30 years before we really see them playing those roles.
0: What kind of historical perspective, if any, do they bring to bear in their efforts?
1: Well, I, I interviewed one of the um, leaders of the April 6 youth movement in Egypt, and I asked uh, him about this, you know. For instance, most of these uh, youth organizations are um, dedicated to nonviolent uh, politics. Uh, and I said, you know, do, ha- have you read Gandhi? Have you, were you influenced by Martin Luther King? Uh... Uh, they, they acknowledge that there are those influences uh, from kind of um, 20th century history of, of, of popular mobilization. But uh, Ahmed Maher of, of, of April 6th, who, who, by the way, is now in, in jail um, for protesting, um, uh, told me that uh, they also had learned from previous generations uh, of Egyptian activists that, you know, during the British colonial period in 1990, there were massive demonstrations for Egyptian independence uh, in which women and men and, uh, and Coptic Christians and Muslims all joined together. And then in the early 70s there were student protests uh, in the time of uh, Anwar Sadat. And he said that uh, you know some of the older uh, uh, older participants in the student protests of the early 70s had instructed them on, on nonviolent Tactics and that they had drawn lessons from earlier episodes in Egyptian history. Uh, so, you know, Maher it seems to be quite grounded in the history of nonviolent political activism in Egypt. And uh, I think, he's um, maybe unusually so, but I think there is a general understanding uh, of the history. And, uh, you know, in the Arab world, um, this is a... This is the the first post-colonial generation in the sense that uh, it's now been some time since France or or Britain ruled these countries. Uh, And uh, uh, people are, you know, very interested in in the nation and its history and uh, and, uh, and its fate. So it's not surprising that they would attend uh, to that history.
0: When there has been repression against these efforts... To what extent has that really redoubled the efforts of these millennials, and to what extent has it caused them to really flee from any kind of activism?
1: Well, it depends on the country. Uh, in in uh, Tunisia, uh, the activists never really demobilized, and uh, they came back out in uh, summer and fall of last year. Um, there, was a, uh, there were a couple of very unfortunate and brutal Assassinations of uh, of far-left political figures, uh, and um, it was suspected that the Muslim fundamentalist far-right was behind it. The Salafis, who are a tiny group in Tunisia, and um, but the a lot of the more secular-minded youth organizations in Tunisia believed that the uh, government, which had a a Muslim Religious party tinge uh, had been soft on the Salafis and then on, on religious violence, and uh, so they they demanded that it step down, and uh, they organized with the, uh, the major labor union to put pressure on the government to finish up the constitution, to have it be a relatively secular constitution, and uh, then uh, to have the government uh, step down in favor of a technocratic. Cabinet, uh, in order to have uh, no interference with further uh, free elections, and all of those things happened. The youth got their demands. Uh, it took them six months organizing, but they, they got exactly what they asked for. Uh, and so, um, in, in, in Tunisia, however uncomfortable the elite might have been with this uh, youth activism, uh, they've had to respond to it on a continuing basis. Uh, In Egypt, in contrast, the military made a coup after the fall of the Mubarak regime in 2011, and um, it has had a very uh, difficult relationship with the youth organizations, uh, sometimes allying with them uh, against forces like the Muslim Brotherhood, uh, sometimes uh, sometimes trying to crack down on them. And in the past year, uh, the, the military... Has essentially made a counter revolution. They, they crushed the Muslim Brotherhood, uh, which had won the 2012 elections after the fall of Mubarak. And then gradually they have uh, begun crushing uh, the uh, youth organizations. Uh, so Egyptian act- activism is at the moment at a low point.
0: And, and to what extent does religion play a role, if at all, in the attitudes of this generation?
1: You know the, the Arab world in general is pretty religious, and so are the young people with regard to their sentiments. Uh, they they report in very large numbers, uh, sixty to seventy percent and more that religion is important in their lives. Uh, so uh, they're not uh, they're not atheists or secularists in that way, but the polling suggests that in this generation, the people born Sort of in the 1980s and 1990s up till the year 2000, uh, the, they are less religiously observant. They they don't you know go in for the rituals as much as their parents did. They don't necessarily
0: pray daily
1: or they to the Quran every day or they don't attend at mosque regularly uh, in the same numbers as their, as their parents. In some instances, there's a spread of nine percent. In some instances. Um, uh, as in Tunisia and Lebanon, uh, you know, it's as much as a 15% difference from their parents, on religious practice. Uh, and uh, so uh, they're, they're much less re- observant. And I th- my own impression is that, th- th- on the whole and by and large, uh, this generation is less interested than their parents were in, in what is called political Islam, and in, in, in the religious right having a, role, a big role in politics. Uh, And so we saw in Egypt last year that the Muslim Brotherhood was overthrown by millions of young people coming into the streets and protesting against Um, uh, its more theocratic tendencies. And um, uh, I think that that may be true across the board. Now, there is obviously some proportion of these youth are invested in political Islam, and so the generation is quite polarized, but I think the majority is, uh, is more interested
0: Has there been any fundamental difference between the the generational movements that we've seen in Egypt or Libya or Tunisia, specifically?
1: Each country, of course, has its own uh, special characteristics, but um, it should be noted that these young people network across these national borders. Uh, And um, in my view their ability to do so is partly based on uh, their education in what is called modern standard Arabic. Uh, so um, I suppose it's like uh, you know there are lots of, of dialects of, of, of English and, and maybe people in Maine and Louisiana especially fifty years ago might have had a little trouble understanding each other sometimes uh, but national schooling has, has introduced everybody to standard English. So. The same things have happened in the Arab world. These um, post colonial Arab states have all instituted the teaching of, of modern standard Arabic to the students. And so by the time you get to these young people, they can do either they can speak local dialect or they can speak uh, the, the modern standard Arabic. And so they're able to communicate uh, quite uh, freely across national borders. They're not impeded by differences of dialect. And they uh, they do keep in touch. They give each other advice. Uh, they share ideas. Um, it, when when uh, the Tunisians were the first to, to make their revolution, of course they faced uh, tear gas and other forms of repression. So when the Egyptians began demonstrating, the Tunisians sent over you know tips. It, it, uh, it keep an open uh, can of, uh, of Pepsi Cola in front of your eyes, or uh, uh, keep garlic or uh, you know how to how to defeat the the tear gas and uh and then of course they share share political uh, notions and ideas as well and they watch the political evolution of each other's countries so uh on the other hand you know each country as i said has its own particular emphases and uh, political culture tunisia is much more tied to france and uh you know i for a lot of secular-minded Tunisians, Paris is kind of a second intellectual home, uh, and that's not so true, say, of Cairo. Uh, so they, they, they put their emphases in different places. But, um, but I think that, that, that their politics, which is generally just a, a demand for more popular input into governance and more upright less, uh, governance, less, less corruption, Uh, and less dictatorship, and and the thing that I think that they minded most of all across the board was the idea of having presidents for life and then having the the sons of the presidents for life succeed them. A new kind of dynastic politics was developing in the region, and that was true in in Egypt and Libya and Yemen and Syria, and and that was something that the youth uh, across the board rejected.
0: What was different in Syria?
1: In um, I think the the big difference amongst these the outcomes of these attempted revolutions uh, is the stance of the military. Uh, how did the military respond to these people on the streets and their demands that the president for life step down? Uh, in Egypt, you had a um, you had a professional part of the military. Uh, the armored corps and so forth, but uh, about 350,000 troops were conscripts, and uh, these are young people who were in, you know, in high school with the, with the protesters off in the previous year. I think the officer corps just didn't trust the conscripts to fire on the demonstrators, uh, and so the Egyptian army fairly soon on in the protest just came on television and announced. Neutrality. It says it's not going to shoot at the Egyptian people, and they, they kind of uh, hung Hosni Mubarak, the dictator, out to dry. In in Tunisia, the the military is very small, uh, and and the dictator uh, Zine El Ali kept it small um, because he was afraid he came to power in a soft coup, and I think he was afraid other people would make a coup against him. But if you only have thirty thousand men under arms, and you got 200,000 people on the streets. You can't really, you really can't really be sure who's going to win that one. Uh, so um, uh, the military wasn't in a position uh, uh, to intervene, and in fact, the Tunisian military said said to have told the president, "Mr. President, we're not going to shoot the Tunisian people for you." Uh, but in uh, in some of these regimes, like in Libya and Syria, there was more of a um, esprit de corps among the officer corps. they were closer to the, uh, to the ruler, didn't see how they could survive in his absence. And so they were willing to drop tanks and just start tank shells into peaceful demonstrations. And that's what happened in Syria. In Syria, it's partly that the uh, upper echelons of the military and the Baath party, the ruling party, are drawn from a minority, uh, Alawite uh, Shiite minority, Majority of, of Syrians are Sunni Arabs, and um, uh, if if this government falls, the one that's in Damascus of, of Bashar al-Assad, then the Alawites are going to be reduced from being kind of lords of the realm uh, to being the janitors. And uh, uh, they saw this happen to the uh, to the Baath Party members in Iraq uh, who, who, uh, who were were displaced and, uh, and treated shabbily. And so they're just determined uh, not to be overthrown and they're perfectly willing to really engage in almost genocidal violence uh, to to stop it from happening.
0: And what impact, if any, has this effort in Syria, even on the part of the young people, the failed effort, what impact do you sense that that's going to have on other millennial efforts in other Middle Eastern countries at this point?
1: Well, you know, the... The thing that I was studying is, is the youth organizations, the youth movement. And A, a civ- civil movement can't survive uh, the turn to civil war. Uh, people are polarized, they're forced to choose up sides, they pick up guns, uh, and, so, and often the most extreme voices start to seem to make the most sense to local people because they're the most vociferous in their opposition to the enemy. Uh, and so I think the, the youth movement in, in Syria uh, has been largely destroyed by the turn to civil war. Uh, and uh, I, I don't know of it having any continued salience uh, for the rest of the Arab youth. Uh, and in fact, you know, we've seen the rise now of these al-Qaeda offshoots affiliates in Syria. Uh, and um, in, in among the youth in, in, in Egypt, They hate them. Uh, And and, uh, I was shocked I was in Egypt in March. There were articles in the newspaper actually, you know, more or less supporting the dictatorial government of of, of Bashar al-Assad against the al-Qaeda offshoots. Uh, And uh, sort of the the uh, far-right, extremist form of political Islam, Uh, its name is mud in most so the youth, you know, want nothing to do with that. And uh, while you know, in 2011, when I was in Tahrir Square in Egypt, uh, there were tents uh, in support of the uh, Syrian uh, revolution. That was true in
0: Libya as well when I was there.
1: Um, I think support for the, the, the revolution among the activist youth has declined radically uh, as, you know, uh, the, the, the leading uh, revolutionaries have increasingly uh, turned to an al-Qaeda-type ideological uh, uh, structure.
0: And are we seeing some of these millennials, some of these young people, take up the more revolutionary cause? Certainly as we look at ISIS, for example, we sense a, a kind of younger mindset going on there.
1: Oh, I don't know. I, it, it's hard for me to know who exactly is in ISIS or really supporting it. Um My my sense is that the young people who came out and demonstrated so determinately in Syria in in 2011 have mostly demobilized. That they've they've just lost interest in the whole thing, and have um, many of them uh, have uh, uh, been displaced. Uh, There are millions of Syrians now who are either internally or externally displaced. Uh, and uh, so I, I, I suspect uh, that most of the um, ISIS fighters, the, the kind of really hard core fundamentalist fighters, I suspect they're, they're more rural, uh, less educated uh, youth, uh, and many of them you know, have lost their jobs and, and this is the only way they can make a living, or, or ISIS has started to have some victories and so they're attracted to the, to the victor. Uh, but these are country organizations you know they're, they're actually quite small isIS before it before the recent events in Iraq was estimated to have five to ten thousand fighters uh, so the youth movements often encompass millions and uh, and uh, I think they've just uh, uh, atrophied in, in Syria I don't think they're there anymore uh, and uh, they've, they've lost they've lost hope in civil action and so I, I think the the, the Fundamentalist um, fighters are a a, a different set of people, or, or or to the extent that they're drawn from the old protesters, you know, people have Mm -hmm. gone in a different direction.
0: What influence does Western popular culture have on these millennials in the Middle East?
1: Oh oh, well, you know, outside the United States, universally among youth, American uh, popular culture and youth culture is extremely. Uh, well-known. And, and, uh, people actually are, are bicultural in most of the world. You know, it's, it's a little bit surprising that if you follow these things in the United States at all and you know the names of the most popular singers or uh, entertainers, uh, if you bring them up with anybody in the Arab world virtually, they, they know them too. But then they also know their own local stars. Uh, uh so the, uh, there is I think um, a certain amount of uh, of cross-cultural uh, interaction and influence um, you know uh, there was that uh, anarchist movie uh, was it v um, and uh, uh, the uh, the youth uh, who made the Egyptian revolution mention you know downloading it and watching it before they uh, they went out into the streets uh, so Hollywood films uh, you know sometimes have been instanced as inspiration and uh, uh, and and the more engaged and political of the, of the, uh, of the entertainment figures in, in the West uh, sometimes are are, are mentioned um, <laughs> even. Even, uh, even icons, like um, I, I saw a piece of graffiti in Egypt, which was uh, Snow White holding a Kalashnikov uh, <laughs> a machine gun. And uh, I think the graffiti artist wanted to uh, say, this is my interpretation, that the Egyptian youth looked you know, naive and innocent, but actually now they're, they're taking uh, uh, power into their hands and uh, overthrowing Mubarak. Uh, so um, it, it's quite an international uh, um, year
0: and finally do do we think that these groups these millennials that these groups are going to continue to grow?
1: well I, I think that the millennials haven't gone any place and in some instances, as in Egypt today their their youth organizations are under a lot of pressure have been disbanded or, or are being watched uh, uh, but i don't I don't you know th- 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 They're very fluid, and uh, since they're often gotten up through the Internet and social media, uh, they they can rise and fall very rapidly. So uh, personally, uh, I think what we saw in Tunisia last fall of the youth coming back out and reactivating their movement to get a particular political uh, set of goals accomplished, uh, that that's that's the norm. And I I think that uh, we haven't by any means seen the last of these activists
0: Juan Cole, his new book is The New Arabs, How the Millennial Generation is Changing the Middle East. It's just out from Simon & Schuster. Juan, I thank you so much for spending time with us today.
1: Thanks so much for the good conversation.
0: Thank you. We'll take a break. I'll be right back.